Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Blocking Charge Cast, where we're about to have a day with no game. So quick, 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 get some thoughts in at the quarter pull before everything changes and your hot takes are all wrong again. Your source for big game talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome once again to another episode of the Blocking Charge Cast here at not quite the quarter mark of the Big Ten season, but of course it's never really possible to hit that exactly because we don't all play in the same days. I'm Andrew Krzyzewski, joined once again by Crumpasaurus, a.k.a. Steve Braun. And out of the vast well of contributors we have here on off Tech Empire, we're joined by Buff Komodo, one of our Indiana correspondents. I'm going to guess that I got that correct. Yeah, because your, your avatar is a seal with an Indiana helmet, if I remember right. How's it going, Buff? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Doing well just here in hour three of darkness because we live in the Midwest. Uh, but you know how that is. Every, I think everybody here is at a certain latitude. And when I say everybody, of course, we're also joined uh, by Mr. Eva 79, one of our intrepid Penn State correspondents. Yes, for basketball season, no less. How's it going, Eli? Um, I'm doing all right, and uh, I think I am at a high latitude. I am uh, in the great area of the Northeast, so it's also dark in here. You don't happen to also be a Steelers fan, do you? (laughs) No, I am not. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because, yeah, you know, about an hour, the uh, game that cannot end in a tie is kicking off with my wife watching it downstairs. So, and I'm telling awesome. you, man, I, we, we talked about it on the season, like the bowl recap for as our kind of our capstone football episode. What I've since begun describing as Steelers scenario Omega is still very much alive. They mentioned I had the Packers Lions game on for a minute earlier and the broadcast was talking about it there. I have to say, I think we have a comrade in Greg Olson because he was fully here for it. Uh, I think mostly because he said he's like, I'm curious to see how the broadcasters would handle that. That, of course, being presumably three and a half hours because they're not giving up the commercials of both teams kneeling and then punting back to each other. Uh, it uh, would and, be of course, the Steelers-Ravens game that was very decisive in this equation damn near ended in a tie itself, which would have knocked both teams out of the playoffs <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and hopefully led to a gigantic fight. Um, so, anyway, uh, basketball. Since we last convened, a lot of mostly by games were canceled in late December, but also Ohio State's marquee matchup with Kentucky. That was unfortunate. And I'm trying to, I don't remember which side of the game canceled, but it was, help me out who else was involved here. Cause they were playing some little four team event in LA or no Las Vegas and UCLA was involved. And I think was it Kansas was the other team. And so as a result, I think it was UCLA, Kentucky put together an impromptu game. It's just, Another one of these things that reminds us that actually you don't have to schedule games like 10 years out for football or basketball. It's something from a practical standpoint, the whole pandemic has taught us is that there's, it, it doesn't make it like you can't, it, there's no reason that you can't continue to schedule whoever you want to schedule. It's very easy to do actually. Uh, but that was an unfortunate casualty. Um, many other more tomato can type games are canceled. And the result of that has been that, when we got back into Big Ten play, a lot of these teams were pretty rusty. Some of them hadn't played in almost a month. You, you know what? Kind of a thinner schedule than anyway with finals week and a little time off. So, Hey, you know what? Tomato can game wasn't canceled. Bragging rights because Mizzou is terrible and Illinois just uh, rubbed their noses in that fact. So, so, you, all right, so you're as with the Northwestern matchup in football, are you now on board here? almost a month after the game with maybe Illinois winning it because man. Oh, I actually, I actually, that one, they were so bad that I, I, (laughs) I actually put money on them to, to cover that spread. I was so confident. There's just, 
It, it's just that Mizzou hasn't actually shown up with a team that shitty before. It's, oh boy, it was bad. But a lot of those tomato can games that we're talking about right at the end of calendar year 2021 had the weird thing where the teams were kind of trying to soldier on without canceling them. So your team, for instance, did this where it was like, all right, let's see if we can still knock down this tomato can with half our starters out with COVID. Yeah, and the result was, well, first of all, I will say that another thing that you get reminded of this time of year is how fast a basketball game can actually happen if the, if the network broadcasting it isn't trying to cram in a commercial every 30 seconds. Because I think you're probably referring to the high point game yep. where Michigan State struggled Tubby with, Smith. Yeah, with Tubby Smith's current I got bills, man, type of gig. And we're, again, really screwed around like for, for a long time. I think they missed something like their first eight or nine shots and ended up pushing the margin out enough that I don't think anybody nationally really paid attention to it. But it was a 3 a.m. or 3, p- 3, 3 p.m. Eastern time tip off on a Wednesday. I think the one between one Christmas and New Year's. So, of course, nobody's watching. And that game was over in 90 minutes. It's amazing how quick these things can go if nobody's under. And that's, again, this feeds back into my conspiracy theory. And again, by way of a little more introduction for our listeners, in a minute I'll pitch it to our contributors here and have you tell me if there are any conspiracy theories you are particularly fond of. But the one that I have always really sincerely believed is that somebody signals to these refs when they need to make more versus less calls to speed up or slow down the game for broadcast times. I firmly believe that irrespective of who's involved, that priority number one is make it fit into a window of this period of time, slow it down so we can get more commercials in or Hey, the next game's getting ready to tip off. Let's move this along. I earnestly believe that's the case. And this game between Michigan state and high point to me was a huge piece. Another exhibit for that. Buff, what do you say? I, I mean, being an Indiana fan, I think it's probably a little harder to wrap your head around, but I, maybe there is something down there in Hoosierland that I, that has not reached our ears up here. No, I think uh, – I don't know that anybody actually tells refs, hey, we need to slow this down or, hey, we need to pick this up. I think that I think that when they go in their, their special ref locker room at the end of the half, they're just like, hey, what do you guys think? And uh, they just kind of come out the next half try to do the exact opposite sometimes just to try to throw everybody off guard. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which is man, the players are starting to get used to the curveball now, nothing but fastballs right down the middle, call everything, every hand check. Every, yeah. Uh, Cause that of course is the hallmark of basically like mid January to late. Just so we'll be getting it soon. Um, Cause right now it feels like for the most part, a lot of the games I've watched, we're still in the phase of, all right, we got to call everything tight. The points of emphasis Although, I, what even are those this year? But it, there, there's always going to come a point where stupid. Yeah, from from half to half, even from like TV timeout to TV timeout, the way that they officiate a game completely changes. Um, L.I., any particular pet conspiracy theories as concerns basketball in particular? The only point of emphasis this year that refs need to have in the Big Ten is Brad Davidson's leg. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Davidson's leg is indeed quite enigmatic. Yeah, well, and also maybe this is across all levels, but I, isn't the flop warning kind of a new thing this year too that they're doing a little? I haven't seen it come up much in the Big Ten, which again, given the way a few of these teams play, is surprising. Uh, but I know that's Minnesota been... got very desperate to stop Kofi Coburn and got a, a flop warning in there somewhere. I, I don't know that it's that, new this year. I think it's just more enforced this year. Yeah. yeah, it's not new, but it is one of those points of emphasis that you were talking about. Um, as to answer your question, I think the conspiracy theory that is my favorite, because I am a fan of Penn State basketball, um, I am actually a fan of Penn State basketball, believe it or not. Um, and as we all know, Penn State basketball has been downright terrible for like a hundred of the 101 years they've been a team. Um, I think my favorite conspiracy theory is... Um, Refs do have a preference for the brand when two teams play. Maybe it's not a conscious uh, bias, but definitely if there is a 50-50 play, more often than not, Penn State's going to be at the shitty end of that. Well, you just assume that the team that you know who it is is probably not the one that's screwing it up, right? If you get the benefit of the doubt, oh, well, of course, I know that to always be a good team, or I know that team to always play this way, therefore... They probably didn't 
get all of you know they i think they got all ball that time yeah exactly no question i think there's some tendency towards that um and maybe there's a little bit of like say like a self-fulfilling prophecy there where for team is viewed as being better then yeah there's probably a subconscious belief on the part of the refs that well the better player is probably the one who made the play right that sort of thing um yeah understandable uh, you know relevant to as as we're um chatting here i have uh northwestern and ohio state on the game on mute and i i keep seeing boo booey enter the frame and ellie i don't know if you knew this but uh he is in fact related to former penn state basketball player taylor battle that's probably that's a real deep cut of information i don't think it's ever come up in a broadcast so <laughs> I just this is the first time i've heard of it happy to what? share that information and for our listeners out there as well this isn't an educational podcast and so we're glad that you slot us in there right between your your various NPR products. I guess I just haven't watched as much Northwestern basketball as you because for some reason I don't remember that. Did you? Are you being see right now? You actually had not. Oh my! It, it comes up twenty times a game when they're playing. It is the Perry Hills was a wrestler of Big Ten basketball at the moment. Uh, it comes right, up anyway. twice oh as much now that Taylor Matter is actually a coach in the Northwestern program. Um, he used to coach Penn State. He coached Penn State last season. But when Micah Shrewsbury was hired, he was made, which I guess you could say demoted, to chief of staff. And uh, okay. he wanted an on-field coaching gig. So he went and uh, coached his brother at Northwestern. And that's the part. They never even mentioned that. I'm not sure if I knew that Bell was an assistant coach right now. I, they've shown him on camera a few times. I assume that he was having retired from basketball just occasionally was able to show up to watch his brother play wherever they happen to be. The broadcast do such a bad job of getting that information across. All they say is, Oh, he's Taylor battles, brother. That's crazy. Look at that. And here's Taylor battle. They don't even think to mention that he's an actual coach. <laughs> You're kidding me. Uh, that is so typical. Oh, that's, that's interesting because on our bench is Chester Frazier who also played for two of Taylor Battle's years. I wonder how many guys from about 15 years ago are, are currently on sidelines. Uh, as far as things that are always mentioned on broadcast, I was playing uh, my career in NBA 2K, and uh, my team, you know, built around me. I'm a gigantic center that's also kind of dumpy. Um, my team traded for Kendrick Nunn, and uh, first time up the floor, guess what I heard Vern Lundquist say? Kendrick Nunn actually played with Jabari Parker in high school at Simeon Academy and won four <laughs> state titles. A thing I only heard three times every Illinois broadcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. There it was again. There's just no escaping it. Um, oh, gosh. So, All right. so <laughs> as far as other events in the non-conference are concerned, um, there, there was one little thing. Wisconsin actually narrowly escaped a pretty bad Illinois State team. And basically since that point, they've been on an absolute rampage. And then what be, and ended up becoming very relevant to conference play, Michigan had a road game at Central Florida. They lost that game badly. And it turned out that they had to, I don't remember if it was both legs or, or just one of them, but at least part of the flight down there, they flew commercial because their team plane was unavailable for some reason to florida small small numbers of cases above the normal uh, in that state at the moment and so they come back and after that trip they lose to northwestern and then the day of the game against michigan state who is rolling at the moment while michigan is seven six overall no they lost to rutgers which it, oh, I, I i get why you would say that it's northwestern i get i'm looking why right at all these guys in purple jerseys <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it, it was right. You're right. And, and so Rutgers, Northwestern, tomato. just a team you can't lose to if you're serious about being good. Uh, and so the day of that being yesterday morning, as we say, you're talking, they cancel this game and I'm not saying, but I'm just saying it's a funny coincidence how the timing lined up given that they were able to play against Rutgers, a team they probably thought they were going to beat. And it's also not the first time this has happened in Michigan's athletic department during the course of the pandemic where, oh, look at that. Our team's having a real bad COVID issue as we have a really difficult opponent on the slate. And it's across three different sports now. That's all I'm saying. 
That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Seems pretty sus. <laughs> sus. It's 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 red sus. It, it, considering they're one of the few non-red teams in the conference, this is red levels of sus. You know, before they engaged in this sus behavior, we were already pretty sure they were the imposter. Oh, relative to preseason expectations, yes, sir. And we will we'll circle back to that as kind of a big picture, you know, overview at the end of the session, which is, you know, who's underperformed, overperformed, that sort of thing. Um, but in the meantime, lest we take up too much of our contributors' time, and you, you guys are obviously welcome to stay on the whole length if you want, or just vanish like Northwestern's chances of winning this game, despite getting almost to 90 points uh, on the road, they're still going to lose this game because Ohio State's been that good tonight. Um, so Ellie, we'll begin with you. Conference play... Nittany Lions had a tough go of it in the first two, but the schedule kind of pre-augured that and then got off the schneid against Indiana, picked up another very winnable game against Northwestern. And then just yesterday, we saw them give Purdue a very real fight. So just give us your thoughts overall on what we've seen from them so far. The scoring is pretty well balanced for the starters or well in the double figures. Um, that'd be Seth Lundy, Jalen Pickett, Sam Sessoms, and, um, and John Hara. So what have you liked from the team? What's been disappointing? How do you feel they're going to shape up in the next stretch of conference play here? Hmm, well, that's a lot. So I'll start with this. Um, ev- almost everyone basically predicted that Penn State would win two conference games all season. So that prediction has now been matched, and any win from here on out is just the cherry on top. So I'm glad about that. Um, Overall, um, when we were talking about cancellations, one of the ones that came to mind were Penn State's last three non-conference games, which led them to not play a game for 22 days. So the game against Indiana was basically the first of the month. And that turned out pretty well. Usually teams come out rusty uh, when they have such a long pause, but Penn State used it as a second preseason, which um, I liked. Side note, uh, apparently one of the ways in which Micah Shrewsbury uh, trained them to stay um, potent on defense was he has two sledgehammers on and the practice, and whoever doesn't have their arms wide open on defense basically gets to sit out and hold the sledgehammers until it's oh. their turn to go back in again, which uh, that was fun. Oh, I love that. Sledgehammers travel to Northwestern. <laughs> I've heard a similar story about Bob Knight, but it was with a shotgun and a sledgehammer. So, <laughs> as for oh, the actual incredible. team's performance, I will say I think two things have um, happened through the course of the November and December. The team looked a little bit disjointed at first, but that's to be expected when half of your team is new transfers. Now that the way that helps is that all of those transfers um, are, were upper classmen somewhere else. Jalen Pickett is, was one of the most sought after transfers out of Siena. Um, Giovanni Scott has not been able to play yet. Um, hopefully he will soon, but Greg Lee, another uh, transfer that was a grad transfer out of Western Michigan he just got um, on the court. His first game was actually that Michigan State game. And the team has now had enough time together to gel. And we're starting to see the Penn State's um, identity on offense. Everyone knew, like, with John Hara, Seth Lundy, Miles Dredd, and all of those guys coming back, we knew what we were going to get defensively. What we're starting to see now, and, you know, it's being rewarded in terms of wins and competitive games against number three teams in the country until tomorrow at about 1 p.m. is that offensive identity. So I, I, there's a lot to like, again, with the understanding that it is Penn State. I have no expectations of conference championships at any point in my lifetime, but... <laughs> Not finishing that last is actually a real thing that can happen in Michael Shrewsbury's first season as coach. And that's, that's pretty great when finishing that last is exactly what 
every coach, I'm not kidding, every coach in Penn State's basketball history, with the exception of two, have done. Wow, wow. that that's amazing because, you, Andrew, you know, this is right in my element. Like, I feel <laughs> like I'm talking to somebody about, like, Brett Bielema's first year because it's like, yeah, I, I'm just trained to think that in a coach's first year, well, yeah, of course, they just piss and shit all over themselves, and we've just got to accept that that's just what it's always going to be like in the first year, but... Yeah, Penn State has been much more of a competitive team than I think anybody really expected, you know, and there couldn't possibly be any expectations given the g- given the unfortunate way that uh, they kind of had to replace him and what a chaotic, um, you know, offseason that it has been. Of course, we are particularly big fans of Sam Sessoms, our off-tackle Empire ASMR superstar, because... That is just quite a name to say. One of the more sibilant monikers that we have in the conference or or have had in many recent years. And yeah, at Penn State, I think for a first year under Micah Shrewsbury, first of all, interesting thing that of the new coaches in the conference, a couple of them managed to convince a number of the former coaches guys to come back, even in this era of greater player movement than we've ever seen before. And that's been absolutely critical. And the other thing that I sometimes think about when I, if I, especially if I'm watching a game with another team with a former Big Ten player. Like for example, this is not a good example of what I'm talking about, but when I watched the Iowa-Iowa State game a few weeks ago, Isaiah Brockington is now playing for Iowa State, and he's having a great season. It's like, well, I'm sure he hasn't regret anything, but I think at some point there was a reference made to UMass where Trent Buttrick is transferred, and I know they ended up coming out on top against Penn State this year, but I was still just like, you know, this is really going better for Penn State than I think most people expected. And one of the bigger problems they've kind of had so far, especially with Greg Lee being out, is front court depth, where they have to put so much of that load on both ends of the court on John Harris' shoulders. And he, to his credit, has done pretty well. But again, it's just against some of the front courts you see in this conference, having that second guy up there really helps. And I just wonder, like, what was the point for butt trick of transferring to UMass for a season that's a dead in the water what a 10 right program uh it's it's just one of those things where I kind of wonder like even for the guys who did transfer away that are starting like should is it really a better situation so anyway do do you happen to have any insight on that Ellie as to as to what happened to Trent and his fancy butt tricks (laughs) um some right Uh, I think the biggest one is playing time he Um, I will say on the grand scheme of things, right? Every transfer who left um, of the people, let me, let me back up even more. Of the people who actually saw the floor for Penn State, everyone who left, left for a better situation. You already mentioned Brockington. He's at Iowa State tearing it up. Jamari Wheeler, may God rest his soul, is at Ohio State <laughs> doing things that I hope turn out very, very badly for everyone involved. And then there's uh, Myron Jones at Florida, who, for all intents and purposes, I'm pretty sure they're going to make the tournament. And, you know, what else could you possibly want? And I personally do not fault anyone for leaving. And I do hope that they reach their goals and dreams, except I hope Ohio State loses every game for the rest of eternity. (laughs) But for Trent Buttrick himself, it was probably, uh, well, not probably, it was playing time. Micah Shrewsbury basically would mince no words in that if he stayed, he was going to remain a deaf guy. And he barely saw the floor as it is when it was just him and, and Hera. Now you bring in Greg Lee, Giovanni White, Giovanni Scott, people who are actually at that at play in the five. There was no way he was going to see any more time than he was already getting. So he went from being the small fish in a big pond to being the big fish in the small pond. And he actually got his revenge against Penn State because, you know, it was basically all him that led to that blowout, which I'm, you know, still mad about. But, you know, it happens. So hopefully UMass also does well enough to get him a tournament bid. Yeah, very understandable. And related topic, you know, as we said not the only new coach in the conference who convinced a number of guys to hold over, even a couple of guys who realistically could have taken a shot at the NBA. So um, Buff, we'll skip ahead a little bit 
um, compared to where we're going to be in the outline. And as far as Indiana goes, kind of flying under the radar. Am I, am I wrong to say that? Or maybe it's just the media that happens to be available to me. But I think, again, probably fair to say a better than expected debut. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, I think in most seasons would be kind of a dark horse contender for conference player of the year. He's having an even better. I mean, I, I realistically, I think he's the only guy who makes sense as well. No, aside from Johnny Davis, I was going to say it, as both player of the year and possibly defensive player of the year. Uh, what have you seen so far from Mike Woodson and this new staff that you've liked anything that concerns you? Uh, how do you feel about Indiana's prognosis for conference position and tournament bids this year? Well, I think that there were a lot of unfair expectations. And to be quite frank, I don't think that it was completely unforeseen that a bunch of Indiana fans would go bonkers over getting a former Indiana guy as their head coach and then think that the world's just going to turn around because Trace Jackson Davis came back. Um, I've always thought that Indiana is going to be I thought their ceiling was about the fifth in the conference. And I think that their floor is about ninth. And I, I think they're improved, but only because everybody's matured a year. Their guard play, and I'll say it every single time that I talk about Indiana basketball, their guard play has to stabilize. And over the last couple of games, it looks like it might have, but those were both home games. Um, you know, Rob Finnessy had a great game uh, the last couple of nights. Xavier Johnson didn't play – uh, predictably terrible today, um, or uh, whenever they beat Ohio State, was that Thursday? Um, and so if they can get efforts like that out of the guard play, I think that they can't be that fifth fight for a fourth seed in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but if, you know, the guards come out and play like they did against Penn State, you know, where I got the box score pulled up, where between Xavier Johnson, Parker Stewart, Miller Cop, uh, Rob Finnessy and uh, Tamar Bates, you got like 17 combined points. You, you're just not going to win conference games like that. The best teams in March are the teams with great guards. Um, yeah, if you don't have although, that, you're not going far. Although, I, I will say this. So, Indiana currently sitting at 3-2, and two, as you mentioned, middle of the pack. That's good for sixth in the conference. But here's the, here are the point totals they've allowed to their Big Ten opponents so far. 55 to Nebraska, 64 to Wisconsin. That was a loss, but in the Kohl Center, so it's pretty much automatic. Um, 58 to Penn State in the game you mentioned. 51 to Ohio State in the game they just won about a week ago. And then 60 given up to Minnesota in this most recent win. So Indiana really has been doing it with their defense to a huge extent. Uh, and they were always pretty good defensively under Archie Miller, so it's not like that's a huge departure from what they were before, but the shooting has improved you know, it marginally better. Like uh, they, they don't go entire halves, you know, one for 10 kind of shooting performances from deep. So um, yeah, it, it's been probably about what you expect. Probably fair to say that there are going to be stretches in the schedule where you need to have more points on the board, but you'll get the results here. Get like, it was a close loss to Wisconsin. They worked Ohio state. And that was, again, if I remember that Ohio State game, right, that might have been a game where they only hit like three or four three-pointers all game. Am I imagining that, or do I have that basically right? No, they were two for 15 from the three-point line against yeah, Ohio yeah. State. Yeah, And they were up by 20 against Wisconsin at the Kohl Center. Um, yeah, but that's, I did, where, that's you know, the game I did watch. Yeah, where you had where you had kind of Xavier Johnson went bonkers and then we couldn't get Trace Jackson Davis the ball with five minutes left to go. And I think actually I stopped – I stopped watching that game for a bit. Like it was on in the background. I was doing something else and I went and I looked back at it with about four minutes to go. And I made the John Calipari watch <laughs> gif <laughs> in real life. Yeah, it was, it was a complete collapse of the guards. Um, and that's, that's been Indiana's problem for the better half of three, pretty much since Yogi Ferrell left is that Indiana has not had a stable point guard. Um, here, here is really, what I will say about that matchup with Wisconsin in particular, though, because that's another team that I've watched a pretty good amount of. And I will tell you that Johnny Davis is that guy. He, it, especially given the structure of the rest of the team, his role and what he's doing reminds me so much of Jordan Taylor from those teams about you know a decade ago. Uh, 
I think between the performance he had in their win at Mackey, that seemed like kind of a national coming out party for him. I mean, he'd been putting up numbers all year, but to win, to have a game like that in that environment and come out with the win, I think it probably cemented him for that award already. Although it, ideally that'll be something that continues to get some discussion. Uh, but he's, you know, that's probably the win of the year so far in the conferences, Wisconsin taking down Purdue on the road. Um, and yeah, it, the comparisons to Taylor to me are just uncanny in that he is both their entire offense and also mysteriously a Wisconsin player that I don't totally hate, which is just a strange feeling. <laughs> That's okay because uh, the rest of them more than make up for it. I actually think it's really just Davison, and he doesn't even bother me that much because he never does much against Michigan State. Well, except that when you like when you see Tyler Wall's face, don't He's, you just I mean, kind of roll your eyes? It's like every time I hear Leighton Vander Esch when right. the Cowboys are on TV. It's just like, oh my god, I just want to punch you. Or it's like, I mu- do you insist? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so to sort of continue our conversation there, we'll maybe take a second here to talk about player of the year candidates. So as I mentioned a second ago, I think this is kind of straightforward at this point. If Wisconsin stays anything like the role they're on right now, I think Johnny Davis is going to run away with this. It would be totally deserved. The other top candidates, I think at this point would be Kofi Coburn at Illinois scoring what 22, 23 or so per game. Absolute defensive magnet draws well on both ends of the floor but i mean when he, he recently ball, picked up his 37th career double double um yeah the thing i noticed about kofi is that he looks a lot faster and more athletic this and he has more more skill his hands are better he i think he was just as traumatized by cameron crutwig as the rest of us uh because he seems <laughs> he, he seems to have lost some weight He's moving a lot faster. I noticed him just absolutely zoom over to some some closeouts against Maryland. He he went up and stuffed the ball down. Uh, oh man, uh, whoever their backup center was, uh, somebody's throat with a with a left hand. I mean, he you know as good as he was last year, he looks a lot better this year, which is terrifying. I even saw him pass the ball a couple times, which that 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 was jarring to see. So he's he's been forced to do that since. Uh, you know, we've basically been running last year's Michigan offense because we've got people that can shoot the three and we have Kofi Coburn. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, honestly, that that to me might be the ideal college offense in this day and, this day and age. Uh, and the third guy that I think is going to get considerable attention is Keegan Murray because the volume stats for him are, are incredible. Um, and it's all I mean, you're going to hear this brought up more and more towards the end of the season as those guys become bigger stars. But I believe it's he and Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivey at Purdue all played on the U19 team that went over and won a gold medal in Latvia over the summer. And supposedly everybody who went on that team came back a dramatically better player. We've certainly seen it from those three guys. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, Ivey has other teammates around him that are going to take a lot of the scoring load. They run so much through the posts that I don't think he's going to have the counting stats. I do think he's the best pro prospect of those three. But it, yeah, we've got some high level players in this class, really more on the wing and in the guard spots than we've seen recently. And then we mentioned also, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, you would think at some point if Indiana hangs around in that sort of top five, top six where they're ranked and definitely going to make the tournament, Indiana's brand, I think, would probably get him some attention. He was absolutely dominant in that win over Ohio State. And it didn't seem like anybody noticed, which was, again, for an Indiana player, very unusual that he doesn't seem to be getting the kind of attention I would expect. Uh, so as, as well, he as didn't other... put up eye popping stats in that game. He was just very good in a way that you had to watch the game to understand. And since Iowa players always get so much pub for player of the year, you can tell that's not really what they do. The people <laughs> voting for it. Right. It's, I suppose that's true. I mean, first of all, when I, when I say player, of the year, I'm just talking about within the conference. Yeah. I, Frankly, I've, I'm not yet at the point where I'm consuming much basketball outside of the Big Ten, so it, it's strange. I, it, I wonder how you guys are with this, but I, at the beginning of the year, you have those non-conference tournaments. It's like, oh, this is incredible. I'm just going to watch nothing but college basketball for like two weeks, and then it's kind of like, okay, you're kind of done watching college basketball for a little bit. You get the football conference championships and bowl games and all kinds of stuff. 
so basketball kind of fades in the background as teams are playing these uh, by game non-conferences and then conference play starts back. It's like, oh yeah, college basketball. But by then I've forgotten everything about the teams that I'm not regularly watching. So it's like, wait, I watched like four games of Florida this year. Are they good? I don't know. Like, they're all over the place in the games that I watch them. So I'm, I'm always about, I'm always on college basketball early because my football team season ends in November. That's just when our season ends. I, uh, I have a similar experience. Um, with the exception of the past two years, my football team usually has a postseason. So I'm focused on that, especially since I write for Black Shoe Diaries. We're usually busy at this time of year. But um, I do try to follow college basketball as a whole, but I think it's, it's a lot harder to follow 351 teams, all of which <laughs> have allegedly a realistic shot at a national championship. So I do focus on the conference once conference play starts. Anyone else, Ellie, who is particularly catching your eye as a potential conference player of the year guy, or is it really those four and then the field at this point? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, I mean, there really isn't, I think, honestly, I don't know why Boo Booey, speaking of, um, hasn't gotten more attention. I mean, obviously, it's because he plays for Northwestern, but um, he is putting up stats. If it weren't because he's so hot and cold, he probably would be getting a little bit more love. But I, I would say, like, out of everyone else, that seems to be the only other choice for player who is doing more than anyone should within a team, if that makes any, any sense. Well, one thing's for sure is by the time March comes around, we're definitely going to have a breakdown of either all name team or name of the year. Maybe we do it as a bracket this time and, you know, and open it up for more people. But I think Boo Booey is going to be difficult to, to is going to be a difficult out in the name of the year bracket. Although, oh. It depends sure. on whether or not Dane Danger is eligible because I sure. don't know if he's actually eligible. But so Fats Russell. I was going to say, I'm looking at Maryland, Wisconsin right now. How dare you take the name of Fats Russell with such disrespect? Put a, put it's a very, appropriate... very deep conference. <laughs> you go all the way down to Benjamin Bosman's yeah. Verdonk. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and, and he plays a forward so, too. So presumably there is more Verdonking in his game than in – there would be if he was a guard um, less than you would think <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of not been very good um, um buff your thoughts on conference player of the year as we stand here i mean quarter post of a conference season but really about halfway of the total season um to be honest i don't really know the whole slate of players outside of indiana uh, i've not really had much time to dive into big 10 basketball as a whole this year uh, but I will say that I think that Trace Jackson Davis is asserting himself uh, very nicely into that picture of players who could win uh, Player of the Year. And that's he's just been a monster in all the conference games so far outside of the Minnesota game today. Um, I'm and even then, a he had a double double. He came back for another year because really he's got the physical <laughs> tools that you would think he would have been at least a late first round pick, even after a freshman year. And then it, I just, I assumed both last year and this year, because he, he is a junior, right? I'm not losing track of time that. Yeah, he's a junior. Who's, yeah. who's going to draft, who's going to draft a six, nine forward that can't use his opposite hand and can't shoot outside of 10 feet. Okay. So it's, it's just the fact that he's a little bit short for the 
position. I I guess I can understand that. And, and short, so, short for the position and can't stretch the floor. That doesn't right. work. That's why I've seen I would see both of these last couple of years <laughs> that if he was going to come back, it would be to take more shots. Uh, and Ellie raises would, a great point. It would yeah. be Lamar the Cleveland Stevens. Cavaliers. Well, if yeah. If Lamar Stevens they would, they would can make it with month. the Cleveland Cavaliers, anyone can make it anywhere. Uh, boy, <laughs> Anthony Bennett. I wonder if he's still playing ball anywhere. Like if he got into a, into a league in Europe or something. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to, to kind of have cross talked over you, but it, yeah, I, I assumed that Jackson Davis would have come back with an understanding that he was going to be allowed to work on his face up game or something. I, maybe it's just that he, he likes being at Indiana kind of is the player that he is at this point. I, I'd find that hard to believe, but um, he I, said so I he a, wants to be a part of a winning culture. He wants to be somebody that can bring the Indiana brand back. Um, and I don't know that just, he's doing a bad job of it. It's just, you know, he doesn't have that guard that he can lean on to kind of sit out top so that way he doesn't get doubled. Yeah, maybe he just was also a big consumer of NBA memes and just can't pass up the opportunity <laughs> to get a whole season of direct exposure to Mike Woodson reacting to things. I mean, yeah, it, it reminds oh, me so boy. much of Steve Harvey, to be perfectly honest. Like every time Steve Harvey encounters a really bizarre answer and he just makes this like, I literally cannot believe this shit right now. Like, he always looks oh, yeah, so annoying. But the other thing is, by this time, Steve Harvey can't be surprised by anything, right? And it's got to be kind of the same thing with Mike Woodson, who, again, coached J.R. Smith for several years. Like, there, really, there can't really be anything that a college sophomore is going to do or say that's going to surprise him, right? So perhaps part of it is just a, a appropriate emoting to let the kids know that he's there and he's engaged. Um, <laughs> the only the perfect thing in the world would be if J.R. Smith transferred to Indiana, played golf, and then was like a GA <laughs> for Mike Woodson. That would be yeah, like poetry in the, the, motion. Then there's like a fundraising tournament or something, so they tee off together. Smith just puts his tee shot in the water, and so we get to see Mike Woodson in like you know a, an outrageous John Daly golf outfit. Jr. God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> uh, it's it's truly an all time great NBA meme. But um, all right, so continuing this conversation, as far as I know. The Big Ten has not retooled the basketball award into a newcomer of the year thing. I think there's still a freshman of the year given out, at least as of last season there was. And the football version, basically they use the newcomer phrase so they can include transfers in that. Basketball doesn't for some reason. I think this is kind of a three-man award at this point, unless somebody really turns it on down the stretch. You, you would think about, for example, both of the big-time uh, five stars at Michigan. If if Diabate or Caleb Houston puts it together, there's an opportunity there to get themselves in the race. But at this point, it feels to me like this is Bryce McGowan's at Nebraska, Malachi Branham at Ohio State, or Max Christie at Michigan State. Any other freshmen who have caught your attention, Buff? I think Tamar Bates was on track to be on that list. Um, and not that he came off, you know, ready to fire. I thought that early in the season he played pretty well, but I think he had like a death in the family. And oh, so the last couple weeks he was off, he didn't really play much against Penn state and he's kind of working back into the rotation. He's very explosive. And I think he's going to be a very good guard. Just, I think that the breakup in a season. Yeah. Is going to be a little bit of an issue. It's difficult in the best of circumstances to adjust to the college game. I will say that Bryce McGowan's is an interesting case because Fred Hoiberg has basically given him the green light. I think he's attempting something like 16 shots a game. Um, or maybe that's the, I think that's the points he's scoring. So the shots are probably a bit less than that. But anyway, he, yeah, not exactly the most efficient. And of course, the other thing that's going to hurt him is that Nebraska's at the very bottom of the conference. And even it, I think to win an individual award on one of the worst teams in the league, you have to be the best in whatever that is by a mile. Like forget about player of the year. That's not going to happen. But for freshman of the year or defensive player of the year, you got to be getting four blocks a game or putting in 20 per night as a freshman or something to get that kind of consideration. We're talking Steve Carlton, 1974 Phillies. We're talking Antoine Randall L. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like that, that's basically the level of performance that you need to get really for those um, 
So let's see. I guess what we'll kind of do from here is talk about noteworthy teams that we haven't mentioned yet from both a disappointing and an impressive perspective. Sometimes both. I mean, Nebraska <laughs> going five for 35 from three against Michigan was definitely both. It, sure. And we will start with Michigan. We mentioned a little bit already about their current circumstances, and I think we're all raising one eyebrow a little bit at that without necessarily making any direct accusations because we don't have that evidence. But this break is very conveniently timed for them because they have been no question the biggest disappointment in the league. They've started the season ranked, what, number four, number five? And that was always a little bit nuts because of the incredible attrition and transition on their roster they had from last year. Basically, they have Hunter Dickinson, Eli Brooks, and Brandon Johns back from last year's team who played real minutes. That was it. But that being said, they've otherwise had reasonably good health as far as I know. And they've got these two freshmen who are supposed to be lottery picks who at times have looked lost. And Diabate has been better. But he plays also kind of the same position where it's tough to have him and Dickinson on the floor at the same time. He's really not a face-up, stretch-four kind of guy. So they've been seriously hurt by a total lack of outside shooting. And without spacers around him to keep double teams away, Hard Dickinson has just not been as effective. He's still putting up his numbers, but he doesn't have. there's no shooting gravity to keep the pressure away from him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not exactly bad. I mean, they did not hit the portal the same way they did before. I think they probably expected to get more out of Devonte Jones than they have, but no question that they've probably been the most disappointing at the moment. There's no real reason to think they're going to get dramatically better other than that. It is a young team and a new team. So perhaps this break has for them kind of the same effect that Penn state's long layoff did where they come back and they've reorganized themselves. And again, wouldn't that just be the most convenient thing that they get to miss Michigan State, Purdue at Illinois? Because again, I, I bet they're not going to play that game on Friday. Yeah, for, for sure not. they won't. No. But home against Maryland, this Maryland team, which is currently getting doubled up by Wisconsin, um, that'll be one that they're able to get under their belt, I'm sure. Now, Nebraska is another case along these lines, right? And as we sit here, they are, I think, 0-5 in the league. Yep. And they're the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. They're all off season. I heard about how, oh, you know, they're really doing it the right way this time. I know things have been rough, but now they got, they got this one prospect, this can't miss prospect, the best prospect they've had ever. And they've got all these nice young pieces to build around them. And, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say this rebuild might actually be ahead of schedule. Nope. They're like the worst team in the league. They're, they're terrible. They're ass. Yeah. And it's, and, and they're the worst team in the league and it's even watching them. You can tell like they have improved. They do have more talent than they used to, but it's all hope. It's all guys that might be good and nobody who actually is right now, you know, like as, as far as a team is concerned, right. It's all pieces that might be really good in the right situation. And this is not that situation. No, yeah. I mean, like I said, I I think Derek Walker would play for a lot of teams in this league. Lat Mayan has stretches where he looks like he could be an NBA player. Um, And McGowan's is obviously taking on a much bigger load than a typical freshman would, even a guy of his talent. But as you say, they're just, they're still just short a couple pieces. They can't rebound worth a crap. Their their shooting is streaky at best. And here's the thing. They're 0-5 right now, but their schedule from here goes as follows. Illinois at home at Purdue, Indiana at home, at Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers at home. They could very easily be 0-11 in the league at the end of January, and they would then have a trip to Ann Arbor to a Michigan team that, again, you can't help but think is going to get somewhat better as the year goes on. But also Uh, Michigan put up 100 against him. I'm I'm told that 0-11 is less than ideal. So I put it this way, you know, honestly – we're talking to a couple guys here with first year coaches. If there are those there, if they're, they're going to come those games, most likely where your teams are getting run off the court by a veteran, you know, well put together, you know, maybe you get beat up by Purdue or Ohio state, the or Michigan whatever. state Spartans. You mean, I guess I'm trying. I mean, it's, I'm still on the fence about this team. Um, there's certain. So first of all, they couldn't help but regress to their mean a little bit. Last year was a nightmare in about every way it conceivably could have been. Uh, 
they counted big time on a couple of players for big roles that just couldn't do what they needed to do. They couldn't help but get better because they did. They certainly made sure they addressed the point guard situation. Um, I still like, even for a Tom Izzo team, they turn the ball over so much <laughs> that they're capable of letting any opponent hang around in a game with them. But when they play at their best, I do think they're also capable of beating most teams. And I say most because in the non-con, we did get looks at what matchups with Kansas and Baylor looked like where they played with them for a half or a half and change. And then the better team ran away from them. So they may still have some untapped ceiling. They do have a few younger players that they're not getting a whole lot of out of just yet, but yeah, I, I can't, I mean, look, there's, I can't say that I'm anything but pleasantly surprised. They should be five and oh in the conference right now because they would have kicked Michigan's asses yesterday. Um, but hey, look, we can only play the games that are in front of us that our opponent feels like playing, right? But I do see your point, um, which if I extrapolate from what you were saying, yes, we have two people here who will have first year's coaches who I think Indiana's in the same place where we didn't, like Penn State lost a good number of key pieces from a team that already won seven and 13 in conference play last season. So seven and twelve because Michigan didn't get to play Penn State. Um, oh, didn't but, get to, you know. didn't get to. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. No, it was unfortunate that they were unable. No way they could have scheduled that game. Absolutely not. <laughs> right. But the point does does stand, which is, <laughs> I think in year is this year four of uh, Hoiberg or is it year three? three? I believe. Yeah. This Still, is- in year three, they shouldn't look this bad. If, and and if, like it's, it's it's not like they don't have any talent. Again, like Bryce McGowan's the most talented high school player they've ever gotten. They, I mean, they lost him for the season, but they had another guy in their recruiting class, the fourth most talented player they've ever gotten, according to the recruiting services. And they've these transfers they've got have, but it's just, I understand Hoiberg's model of being willing to work the portal and being willing to bring new guys in. But I think you got to have some kind of roster consistency, right? Like, there's also something to be said for being a coach who will have a player drop 40 and then immediately announce he's leaving. Yeah, Teddy Allen had kind of like the head-turning moment of the season last year, and within a week, he announced that he was transferring away from Nebraska. He's still playing in college. I forget where he ended up landing. But that's, but the, kind of shit that you, that's yeah. the kind of shit that you heard about Maryland in the years leading up to what happened at the beginning of this one. Right, where it, where it's like, and it, it's so much harder to understand from Hoiberg like, because he had a track, he had a previous college job where he did this same model extremely well. And why he hasn't been able to carry it over now when there's more player mobility, he has a bigger pool of guys to pick from. It's a little confusing. It Honestly, I expected more from him. And, and I don't I mean, think it's really point, his fault that he failed in Chicago either. Their front office was, oh no, he never yeah, had a chance. No, no. Yeah, not at all. Um and so this... to complete our, our trifecta of three underperforming teams and kind of three overperforming teams, um, I hereby demand credit for predicting that Iowa was going to fall off a cliff this year. Uh, and that's, again, not exactly going out on a huge limb when you lose the player of the year. But they had Yeah, really coming... looking into a crystal ball there. Yeah, they had enough <laughs> coming back, though, that it, it was fair to expect them to at least stay in the middle of the league. I just thought that, people were underestimating their losses other than Garza. They missed Joe Wee's camp terribly. They were counting on Jack Nungy to be basically their starting five and give them probably like 70% of what Garza did. And even that would have been difficult, but he showed in stretches that he was capable of doing that last year. And then he ended up transferring as well. CJ Frederick transferred. He was an underrated loss. And it's just, they, they have guys who mostly feel like they were meant to be role players who are in bigger roles than they were designed for. Uh, Keegan Murray's star turn has been fantastic for them. If he hadn't done that, if he was merely an above average power forward in this conference, they would be the worst team in the league and it wouldn't be close. So they played Wisconsin and I saw a lot of predictions saying that these are very similar teams, but I looked at it this way. Yes, they've got very similar pieces in Davis and Murray. The difference is Wisconsin has a complete team although a very thin team at five players, basically. But that five players constitutes a complete team, whereas Iowa just has Keegan Murray. 
And yeah, no, it, they're similar <laughs> insofar as they are both by far their best, their team's best players. They're both sophomores who made enormous leaps forward, who have diverse offensive games. And then that's where the comparisons stop because they don't play the same position. And Wisconsin plays defense and rebounds around Johnny Davis. So he doesn't have to do everything. Iowa taught me if you've heard this before, but Iowa can't play defense. And the only time they really can do anything on that end of the floor is when they go to the press against teams that struggle to bring the ball up the floor. Uh, That's why they were in the game against Illinois. We didn't have a point guard and they just pressed us and we turned the ball over all the time. Well, that sounds great because Penn State plays Iowa, I think, in the (laughs) next two games. And uh, Penn State can't bring the ball up because they don't have a point guard either. So (laughs) that that, that can be a difficult thing. Much better off with Sessoms and Pickett than with what Illinois had going in that game, though. And um, We had two back-to-back 10-second violations. I had never seen that before (laughs) in my life. Uh, I've watched a pretty good amount of basketball at this point. I'm, I'm 33 years old. I've been regularly watching sports heavily for you know, 15, 16, 17 years. I had never seen consecutive 10-second violations. It's so rare to get one 10-second violation in, at this level of basketball. We have a center exactly. bring it, well, really a forward, but a guy that Coleman could Hawkins play the four or the five. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's still... Not six exactly foot the guy ten. you want trying to break a press. No. Yeah. <laughs> and so as long as your point guard situation is better than that, um, you can confidently say that um, that you're going to be able to handle Iowa's pressure. Okay. Uh, yeah. Computers still love Iowa, though. Uh, I think it's just because they've they beat Virginia, and boy, they sure did lose close against some really good teams. Uh, are we playing horseshoes? Are we playing hand grenades? Yeah, sure. They lost close against some teams, but that Iowa State game sticks out in my mind it, it, like a, this cowlick that I've had my entire life, uh, which is to say that the blueprint for Iowa is triple team Murray every time he gets the ball. Make them prove that they can actually move it around that and have somebody else score. I mean, the only other guy that I've seen some impressive streaks from has been Rabraka, who's been okay as their center sometimes, a little bit undersized for that spot. And you, he's not exactly going to bang capably with the likes of Kofi Coburn or Howard Dickinson or whoever. Man, when I see uh, Bohannon on the floor this year, I feel like Darth Vader. You should not have come back. <laughs> Pretty much. He's had kind of a tough season. I mean, he, I don't know if it's maybe residual, like he had a pretty serious hip issue. So, you never know if a guy is ever going to quite be the same after a serious injury. He certainly does not look like the version of himself from a couple of years ago, who was a little bit of a, you know, like a caffeine free diet, Steph Curry threat in terms of where he could pull up from in some games. You don't, you don't get that vibe from him anymore. Neither of the McCaffrey's do much for me as more than third or fourth best players on a good team. And so again, like Murray is great. How many teams in the league can you beat by himself? Yeah, I got a question. Can we talk about Rugster? Wait, before we move on to Rutgers, because the Rutgers section, as we all know, is my section. Um, but I want to add a fourth team, the one that we mentioned in passing. Everyone told me before the season that Maryland was going to finish no lower than third <laughs> in the conference. Why are they dead last along with um, now, now, Ellie? Now, Ellie, who's everybody here? Who's who, everybody despite... in the quote unquote media? predicted okay. that Maryland was going to have a great team. Well, That's it's a good thing that we're not the media. <laughs> what was that? I said well, it's a good I mean, thing we're not the media. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> for, for the same reasons that Mark Turgeon is no longer the head coach there, because then they have somebody to leave immediately. Yeah, James Graham, I, I think, think so. made it like a month into his college career for Maryland. Uh, and, the, yeah, a guy who turned down, I believe his other finalists were Wisconsin and Michigan State. And he ended up signing up for this Maryland team. <laughs> and so now they got Danny Manning, who went about, you know, 430 or so at Wake Forest. Well, on an interim basis. I don't think anyone seriously thinks that he's going to be the long-term solution there. But they're we're only talking about this Maryland team. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. So, and right, relative to preseason expectations, certainly much lower. Um, and you like just they, always assume that no matter what happened at Maryland, it seemed like Mark Turgeon could always pull a pretty, could always pull a tournament appearance out of his ass. And I guess the ass finally ran dry. 
Yeah, well, I mean, especially after, oh, that's such a terrible analogy. <laughs> but especially <laughs> after the season they had last year, where really Aaron Wiggins is the only guy they lost, If I, unless I'm remembering incorrectly. They still have Ayala, still have Dante Scott, still have Hakeem. Marcel. They lost Marcel. Oh, they lost, yeah, Marcel's at Marquette now. And he, he turned out to be a big loss. It, it, you never can tell how much a guy like that is going to mean to the chemistry of a team. But they brought in a couple of high-impact transfers, too, you know, Fats Russell is tiny, but he was he's supposed to be a very capable point guard that lets them move Ayala back off the ball. And Caduce Wahab was at least going to give them a body capable of banging in the Big Ten. Again, nobody's going to mistake him for an all-conference player, but he gave them size that they didn't have and somehow managed to work around last year. But yeah, man, it, it turns out our Maryland contributor, DJ Carver, successfully cyber-bullied Mark Turgeon into quitting. Who would have guessed? <laughs> oh boy, looks like our meeting's got is uh, is low on time. So let's breeze through some rugster content. Yeah, uh, they looked like absolute garbage in the non-con. But Ellie, uh, I'm gonna let you speak on this one. Um, yes, Rutgers looked very, very bad at the beginning of the season. Then a good thing happened. Ron Harper Jr. had that heave, and it went in. And that gave them the confidence to destroy the likes of Michigan, who we just uh, decided is not actually that good this season. And Nebraska, who we also just talked about how they are not that good this season. So Rutgers is sitting at three and one in the conference with one upset and nothing else. Yes, but would you like to know about the distribution of those games? Three and one, they've played three home games. And one road game in the Big which Ten. Which was going to be my second point, which is <laughs> yeah. the story with Rutgers every single year is such that they play like garbage on the road. They play great at home. But somehow, some way, their schedule breaks down such that all of the home games happen at the early part of the season So we all think that Rutgers is actually a good basketball team. And then it turns out that they have to leave. And every time they do that, the actual Rutgers comes out. And I know I'm writing checks that I may need to cash on Wednesday morning after the Penn State game happens. But I am somehow, someway confident that I will have the money to cash those checks because Rutgers is, was, and always will be a fraud. Look, we did our best to unmask them on their first conference game. They came to Champaign. We did our best. We screamed from the mountaintops. This team is trash as we beat them over the head repeatedly. But it hasn't fooled people, apparently. They still have people fooled, apparently. Well, look, it's fair to say that they got that win over Purdue when they were number one in the country. And granted, they had to do it at home. They had to get the last second heave to do it. Uh, but as you mentioned, yeah, next two games are on the road, even against sort of bottom half of the table teams at Penn State, at Maryland. Then they've got Iowa at home, which they'll probably win. But they, we'll see how this home court advantage lasts for them because later in the season, they do still have home games left against Michigan State, Ohio State, Illinois, Wisconsin, um, and then the return trip from Penn State to finish up the season. So that's not their whole home schedule going forward. They've got a couple others, like I said, Iowa and Maryland still. But that home advantage is going to be put to the test in a big way in the back half of the schedule. And having watched them a few times, I have not been entirely convinced that they are anything more than a team that once in a while gets a big shooting night from Ron Harper Jr. Like otherwise, there's not much going on here in my opinion. But that could be enough for a middle of the road finish in the conference, which makes you a tournament team. Yeah. That's and uh, another, the, the last of the new head coach teams is uh, of course the team that is also my favorite piece of Joe Biden related content. Minnesota. <laughs> you see a that clip of him just surprise. shouting that word. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. No, that's absolutely been a, pe- a pleasant surprise, especially because we had no idea why they hired this particular guy. No, but it, to be fair, it looks like he identified the pieces that he wanted. Um, I do. If there was, if it was a newcomer of the year award, I think Jamison Battle would win it easily. Uh, I do think their short rotation is going to grind down eventually. They really only play six guys, but it is getting their best realistic result so far. 
Um, I'm a little cautious in putting that label of transfer whisperer on a coach after Juwan Howard took such a huge step backwards with that this year. But yeah, so far, even again, with a one in three record, it's about as impressive as it, as it could have been. And again, I'm just irritated as could be that MSU had to play them twice in the first five or six games of the league schedule when all their guys are still healthy and relatively fresh, but that'll happen. So here's how we will conclude this episode of the charge cast. We'll run through the upcoming schedule of interest these next couple of weeks. Um, after I list off a few things, if anybody else has other games they're looking forward to matchups with your particular teams, for example, go ahead and say that, um, Thursday of this week, that being the 13th, we have Ohio state at Wisconsin, very relevant to the top of the conference and to double by positioning and everything. Friday, we have Michigan at Illinois. No, we don't. Game happens. Yeah. And I'd give it maybe a 10% chance of actually happening. On Sunday, oh, that's great. Have- Hunter Dickinson's ass is not going to have to ch- to cash those checks that his mouth wrote at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, funny okay, how that goes. we'll get him in February on the road on a goddamn Wednesday, <laughs> and then uh, we have Sunday. on Sunday Iowa at Minnesota, wherein we'll see if if Minnesota can play defense on do the things we described or, or that Andrew described to stop Iowa. Then Fran McCaffrey's going to have a little Jamison battle of his own. The following day, Monday the 17th, we have Purdue at Illinois in a battle of the hugest human beings you will ever see live. Uh, The following Thursday, Purdue at Indiana, always a little bit of a saucy game. Indiana quietly a risk to upset Purdue at home there, I would think. And then Friday the 21st, Michigan State at Wisconsin. That is where the beat drops on the schedule for Michigan State, a very difficult stretch beginning at the Kohl Center. Uh, Buff, any other games in the next couple of weeks that you are particularly looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to see how Indiana handles being away from assembly uh, at Iowa and at Nebraska. It feels like every time Indiana has gone to Nebraska recently, they kind of struggle through it. You Pinnacle know, with two... is an underrated home uh, venue. They get really good attendance considering the success the team has well, not had these last several years, they still fill that place pretty compellingly. And, you know, sure, make all the jokes you care to about there being nothing else to do there in January. Probably pretty true. Uh, but it results in a good building for them, even when the team is not very good. Uh, what about you, Ellie? Anything else that catches your eye in these next couple of weeks? You mean aside from the Penn State Rutgers game on Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. And so that's honestly, that's first up. By the time this goes live, that'll teams will be well into game planning for that. So, all right, that I think will bring us to a hefty episode here at the quarter pole of the Big Ten basketball season. I want to thank our contributors, Buff Komodo and Ellie, for joining us. And everybody out there, have a good time. Enjoy a couple more weeks of Big Ten hoops. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's off tackle. Empire!